stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. I want to start today's show with a quote from Sherlock Holmes that I think puts today's conversation in, in its truest context. And the quote is, life is infinitely stranger than anything which the mind could invent. Today, we're going to talk about cancer and writing. Writing has the power to elevate the spirit and the mind, to bring solace and, and understanding. And we're very fortunate to have with us today columnist Suleika Jauld. Uh, Suleika writes a weekly column for the New York Times Well section about her cancer journey. And the Sherlock Holmes says her reality is often stranger and more unexpected than fiction, thanks to her honest and intimate stories and observations. Even, even when we think we know where we're going, we often take an unexpected turn. Also with us today is Meredith Rudin, an oncology social worker at Mount Sinai Hospital, who implemented the Healing with Words workshop, a four-session writing workshop for people with cancer. And later in the show, we're going to talk to Meredith about therapeutic writing and about its uh, many, many benefits. So our first guest today is Suleika Jawad, Jawad, and she is a 24-year-old writer, a young adult wellness advocate, a speaker, and a cancer uh, thriver. In her weekly column called Life Interrupted, she chronicles her experiences as a young adult with cancer. Suleika is an extraordinary writer who finds herself in extraordinary circumstances. She shares her insights with readers from around the world, reserving a special focus on young adults struggling both with serious illness and, and uh, life's uh, uh, other challenges. Suleika, a triple citizen of the U.S., Switzerland, and Tunisia, graduated with highest honors from Princeton University in June of uh, 2010. At the age of 22, Suleika embarked on her adult life, leaving the U.S. for a job in Paris. It was there that she began to feel unwell, and her symptoms included anemia, fatigue, and repeated infections. And the doctors in Paris couldn't pinpoint a cause and really concluded that she was maybe suffering from burnout syndrome. So seeing no improvement in her condition, Suleika returned to New York. And the first doctor she saw in the U.S. also struggled with a diagnosis, ultimately blaming depression. 
But Suleika knew in her gut that this was also wrong, and she pushed them to keep looking. And she was finally diagnosed with myelodysplastic syndrome and acute myeloid leukemia. Her condition was high risk and advanced at the time. Uh, she recently underwent a bone marrow transplant. Her 22-year-old brother, uh, Adam, was her donor. And in March of this year, while still deeply immersed in the fight of her life, the New York Times began publishing Suleika's columns in which she shares deeply personal experiences along with her thoughts and hopes and dreams, allowing us to truly understand what it means to be a young adult with cancer. Tulika's column is a New York Times editor's pick and has gained widespread following, uh, including among celebrities like Katie Quirk and many of us here at the Cancer Support Community who have tweeted, reposted, and linked to her columns. She lives in New York City with her boyfriend, Seamus, where she is slowly finding her new normal after a year and a half of treatment. Suleika, thanks for being with us here today. I am happy to be here. Thank you. I think the thing that struck me most about about your column about life interrupted is how how brave you are uh, in your writing. You often ask difficult questions of yourself, questions that that sometimes are considered controversial in the cancer community, like whether or not to call yourself a cancer survivor or the the use of military terms like battle and and, and, and mission and war when talking about cancer and and even the pressure of trying to present a positive and optimistic um, outlook. But particularly touching and and, uh, humbling are your columns where you tell us about your feelings of guilt, of selfishness, remorse, embarrassment, regret. I mean, some of this stuff is really very raw. And you do this in front of, um, of millions of readers um, around the world. So, so, so wh- where does this come from to write so honestly uh, about your experience? Were you always a-, a writer, or was it this cancer experience that really brought this out in you? Right. Um, I've always loved to write since I've been a little kid. I've filled journals up. Um, it was actually my dream to be a foreign correspondent someday. And uh, right before I got diagnosed, I actually had plans to go to Tunisia to report on the revolution taking place. Um, Now I'm writing about a very different type of revolution, Uh, but I think it's always been in my nature uh, to be very open um, about what's going on in my life, and uh, writing has always been my go-to medium to sort of express what I'm thinking and feeling. Um, so, yeah. so you, so, 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 like, you seem really dedicated to producing a, week, a column every week, and and you know, you kind of shared with us that you're you're writing sometimes with the help of your boyfriend. I'm sure folks would understand if the column went on a hiatus for a few weeks or if you needed to back away from it. Why is this so important to you to keep on that schedule? What what keeps you so determined and and, and motivated on this uh, uh, on this journey? There are weeks when I feel very tired or I'm writing from the hospital and it's very difficult to meet my deadline. Uh, but I think that writing, especially since my cancer diagnosis, has become this incredible coping tool, uh, this way of you know, trying to find words and trying to translate emotions that often seem kind of impossible to describe um, into something that kind of makes sense to me and maybe represents uh, some of the emotions that are coursing through my body as I'm experiencing all of these life changes. Um, it's really also been an incredible experience for me to discover this vibrant community of people who have been touched by cancer, both online and offline, 
Um, and I think I've been in, particularly inspired and encouraged uh, by by the readers uh, who comment on my blog and who reach out to me through social media. Um, and they they very much inspire me to keep producing new content on a weekly basis. Do you feel an obligation to those folks to do that? No. Uh, I mean, I, do, I, I, I write first and foremost because I love to write and because it's something that uh, helps me in my cancer journey. Um, and it, it's an added plus that... Um, that some people find it helpful and that I'm able to build these connections and friendships through the column. So, Suleika, so since your, your first column in March, you've covered a wide range of topics from cutting 16 inches off of your hair before starting chemo. You talk about your, quote, what you call your incanceration um, uh, uh, at the hospital, your, your five-day chemo routine. Um, you talk about managing the cost of care and, and, and treatment. You talk about your family. Um, uh, how do you decide, with all that's going on in your life, how do you decide what topics to, to, to explore, to write about? You know, how, how do you get sort of that spark that leads to your weekly column? In some ways, you know, writing, writing this column is a lot more work than any journalism assignment I ever had in college, for example. Uh, but the difference is that I don't have to go out and do reporting uh, in a conventional sense. I'm living this journey, and uh, as I live it, there are constantly new themes that become apparent to me or new experiences that I'm having uh, that then fuel the materials for um, for a column. So sometimes I write based on a feeling I've been having or something that's been recurring in my life in the past few months or sometimes such as in my my latest column, Five Days of Chemo, I literally write about what's been going on that week and how I've been feeling and I try to maybe draw some more universal themes that would be relatable to other young adults or people living with life-threatening illnesses. So I know, so like along with your written column, uh, the New York Times also produces uh, video blogs for Life Interrupted. Did you originally plan to do those, or was that something that emerged after your column? And, and what's it like doing those versus, you know, versus the written word in terms of communicating about your, your experience? At first, um I had, you know, envisioned of life interrupted as a strictly written column. Um, but after talking with my editor, Tara Parker-Pope, at the Times, uh, we started exploring the possibility of trying out maybe one introductory video to accompany my first post. And I felt a little nervous about this. I had never really been interviewed on camera before, and I wasn't used to having a videographer following me around as I went about my day, um, but I was excited about the idea that uh, the video could reach more people and maybe raise greater awareness uh, about young adults living with cancer and the bone marrow transplant process 
uh, I'm incredibly grateful to Shayla Harris, the videographer I work with at the Times, because I think uh, she's really done an incredible job of producing some really striking and beautiful and profound uh, videos. So we're, we're getting to our break here, Shalika, but, but in doing those videos, were you, um, you know, you've obviously gone through some, some physical changes. Were you self-conscious about that at all, or, or how did you feel about kind of sharing, you know, those physical changes or sharing, you know, in a video format moments where you weren't really feeling that well? Right. So this is something that I would kind of joke about with my boyfriend, I'd say, you know, especially when I was doing uh, videos from the hospital, for example, I'd say, do I put makeup on? Obviously, I don't wear makeup when I'm in the hospital <laughs> getting chemotherapy. Like, what exactly is the proper etiquette for this? And I think what was really important to me was to give uh, a, a real kind of raw um, and honest portrait of what it's like to actually be a patient. Uh, mm-hmm. So the reality in my life is that, you know, there are some days where I get dressed and I put on makeup and I feel good, and there are other days where I'm sitting in bed and I'm really feeling crummy and I don't have the energy or the time to put on a wig or, you know, do my mascara. Um, yeah. Or for that matter, there are times when I don't have eyelashes put mascara on. <laughs> <laughs> so it really, it really varies. But I've, yeah. I've grown to uh, feel quite comfortable yeah. with my, with the way that I look um, as I undergo these different treatments. Yeah. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking with Sulika Jawad from the New York Times, and her column "Life Interrupted." We're going to take a quick commercial break. We will be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health & Wellness.
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Celgene and Azi. I'm Kim Tibaldo. Today I'm joined by Suleika Jawad. Suleika is a 24-year-old uh, cancer survivor. She writes a column in the New York Times in the Well section called Life Interrupted, in which she chronicles her experiences as a young adult with cancer. Suleika was 22 years old when she was diagnosed with cancer. Every week she shares really deeply personal experiences along with her thoughts and hopes and dreams, allowing us to truly understand what it means to be a young adult with cancer. She writes with extraordinary honesty and frankness, so I really encourage you to, uh, to read all of her entries. The New York Times publishes her column on their website at uh, well com, or you can also follow Suleika's journey via Twitter at Suleika Jawad. And it's, I'm just going to spell it for folks um, uh, who are listening to us today so you can write this down if you want to search on the web or look at Suleika's uh, blog. It's, her first name is Suleika. It's S-U-L-E-I-K-A. And her last name is Jawad. It's J-A-O-U-A-D. Um, so we would encourage folks to check that out, and, and uh, if you're looking to get some further background and look up uh, look up the column, it's really very uh, inspirational, very moving, very honest. Um, so we would encourage folks to check it out. You know, at the cancer support community, we talk a lot about cancer being a family disease, and it's something that we see again and again uh, in in your column, uh, so like and also in your video blogs. We we meet your your boyfriend, your inner circle of friends, and and uh, they all show the same kind of raw honesty and, and forthrightness with which you write, and it's, it's, it's really um, quite moving. So tell us about that experience. Like, how did your friends and family react? Um, I mean, you know, first of all, what was it like telling them that you had cancer and, and, and navigating that experience? But how did they react when you wanted them to, um, you know, kind of appear in your, your video blog or be interviewed for Life Interrupted and kind of, you know, pull them in, you know, in that way to your experience? I think for me when I was diagnosed with cancer. It was obviously a medical crisis that was happening in my body, but it was also a family crisis um, for, for my parents and my brother, uh, as well as my friends. Um, I think that translating a world of experience, especially an experience that deals with something as difficult and emotionally and physically painful as uh, cancer uh, can be very difficult. It's it's hard to sum up how you feel about your daughter having cancer or your sister having cancer or whomever it may be in a few sentences. Um, So I think they start with, you know, how how to express everything that we had gone through together. Um, but I think that they were incredibly uh, supportive and excited about being able to raise awareness uh, about what it really means to be an adult living with cancer and what it means to undergo a bone marrow transplant. 
where they, when you ask them to participate in this way in the blog and, 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 and uh, you know, in, in being interviewed, did anybody have any hesitation or, or did they, you know, kind of right uh-huh. away say, yeah, we're, we're in, let's do this thing? <laughs> Everyone was everyone was um, was excited to do it. I think my brother in particular was was a little camera shy, um, so he was nervous. Uh, I think primarily about being on camera and being interviewed for the first time. Um, so yeah, but other than that, I think uh, things went pretty smoothly. And was there was there um, anything that they said in, in their interviews um, that really you know kind of surprised you or shocked you or or, or moved you you know it, you know in a particular way? Uh, I think I was most surprised by the interview with my brother Adam, who is also my bone marrow transplant donor. Uh, I was kind of stunned by um, by how responsible he seemed to feel for the outcome of the transplant. And that's not something we had really discussed between the two of us. Um, I think he felt that as my brother, his role was to support me and to uh, reassure me about the transplant, but he never really shared with me his own fears about... Um, what about his involvement in the procedure? Um, and it really surprised me, and I found it incredibly moving. And it was actually, it actually opened up a, a new dialogue and, uh, between me and my brother, um, where I, you know, talked to him and tried to make it clear to him that it was okay for him to also be feeling afraid and that he didn't need to be brave for me every step of the way, and that I understood this was something that, you know, uh, deeply affected and implicated both of us, and that we were in it together. So was it a was it a, a, a unusual sort of bonding experience in that way? I think so. I mean, it's a pretty incredible thing uh, to think that my bone marrow is 100% my brother's. Um, we joke that my personality has changed since my bone marrow transplant and that suddenly I'm listening to a lot of rap music and playing basketball. <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but I think, you know, there's something really incredible and miraculous about the fact that he's literally, you know, uh, given me a shot at living and at a cure. Um, so it's something that I think about a lot, and it's something I think that has brought us so much closer together. Mm. Wow, it's really powerful. And and you seem to have this great network of friends. Um, and and you know you you see you've had sort of these typical interactions for somebody your age with friends, Facebook updates, and parties, and jobs, and and, and grad school announcements, and your life takes this you know, this sudden kind of urgent, urgent you know, turn. Um, how do you feel like that's changed how you relate to your friends and, and, and how they relate to you with regard to those kinds of interactions? I think that my relationships with my friends is very different than it was pre-cancer um, in that... Uh, 
in that uh, there are so many things that I can't do anymore. Like, for example, going to parties or, uh, you know, going on a vacation or doing any of these little things. Um, so I've had to um, start interacting and relating with my friends in different ways in smaller settings in smaller groups and um, in more controlled settings. And that's been a, a big adjustment for me. I think that in the beginning, I felt really isolated. Um, and in some ways, I felt like overnight, I had suddenly become an outsider. Uh, all the things that I used to have in common with my friends, you know, such as figuring out uh, what we wanted to do with our lives, where we wanted to go on vacation, uh, what kind of jobs we wanted to pursue, were all of a sudden no longer really in um, the realm of possibility for me, um, at least at that time. Um, I also think that I've, I, I lost some friends in the beginning, uh, which was very difficult for me. Um, but I've also made some new unexpected friends, including friends in the cancer community, which has been uh, really incredible for me. Why do, you, why do you think you lost some friends? What, what happened? It's difficult to say. I mean, I think, I think that in the beginning um, I had some friends who maybe weren't calling or weren't visiting and weren't really present. And um, in the first few months of my diagnosis, I felt very angry and very hurt. Uh, and I've now sort of tried to rethink why people respond the way they do to illness. But I think at the end of the day, illness is just a really, cancer especially, is it's so difficult to know what to say and what to do when someone you love is sick. And I think that a lot of people, um, instead of simply saying, I don't know what to say or I don't know how to help you, put distance um, between themselves and you, and maybe instead of taking action, uh, simply sort of take a back seat. Um, and I've had a few friends who have come forward and um, and have talked to me about those insecurities and those fears and those uncertainties, and I feel like we've been able to work past that. But I also think that when you're in your 20s, you have very little life experience with um, life-threatening illnesses and mm -hmm. that it can be really scary, uh, to put it simply. And but in some instances, it actually, you, you felt like it actually helped to strengthen some relationships. Yes, absolutely. Um, my, my Two of my best friends have really one of whom, uh, Mara, was in the video, have really stood by my side and been incredibly supportive. Um, and I think that having lived through this journey together has made us so incredibly close. Um, yeah. You really kind of find out who your real friends when something like this happens. Yeah, and, I, and I've heard people say that, that um, 
in some in some instances, you're as surprised by who reaches out as you are by who doesn't. <laughs> and that's the, that's the amazing thing. I mean, there are people that you barely know who yeah. bend over backwards to be there for you and to show you their support, and it's really remarkable and really amazing. Yeah, I see yeah. this every week in the comments, Jen, of my column, and I'm just... Yeah. stunned by the the kindness of complete strangers. Strangers, yeah, yeah, that 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 uh, that, that classic phrase. This is frankly speaking about cancer. Uh, we're talking today to Suleika Jawad. We're talk, uh, she writes a column for the New York Times called "Life Interrupted." We're going to take a quick break here. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with more from Suleika. Thank you. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and today's episode is brought to you in part by Genentech and Morphotech. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Today I'm joined by Suleika Jawad. Suleika is a 24-year-old columnist for the New York Times Well section. She chronicles her experiences as a young adult with cancer in her weekly column, Life Interrupted. Um, Suleika, in your very first column, you wrote about facing cancer in your 20s. And you say that nine months, eight hospitalizations, and seven chemotherapy treatments later, I'm realizing that age is an inextricable component of how we experience cancer. What do you mean when you say that, and what what led you to that realization? Sure. Um, When I first was admitted to the oncology unit at Mount Sinai Hospital, I was in the adult oncology unit. I was 22 years old, and 
Uh, it was a it was a really strange experience for me. Um, I had an incredible medical care, but I also felt uh, totally out of place. Um, and I came to realize that I was kind of in this strange no man's land where I was a few years too old for pediatric oncology, but uh, by far the youngest person in the adult oncology unit. Um, and I kind of craved, uh, I, I was, I think what was most difficult for me was not just um, dealing with the effects of the chemotherapy and the fact that I'd suddenly received this cancer diagnosis, but also feeling very alone because uh, no one around me in the hospital looks like me. Um, and yeah. I no. Yeah, so you're without a peer group, basically. Right, exactly. Um, and it wasn't actually until I joined a young adult support group through Gilda's Club that I finally met people around my with similar issues, not just medically, but also emotionally. And so you say, so this, so you say that that age is an inextricable component. Of, of of how we experience cancer. So, aside from not not having that peer group immediately when you were diagnosed, what what else do you mean when you say that? I mean, what what do you think were the kinds of sort of you know issues or concerns or things that you were thinking about? Because I mean, you're right. Cancer is still, for the most part, is a, a disease of an aging population in this country. Still, the majority of people who get cancer are 65 and older. So. What are, what are the other kind of issues and concerns that you were thinking about or that you didn't even know that you should be thinking about, um, right. you know, when this is really a disease of, a, of an older population? I think um, the first issue that came up, and it actually happened right before I started my chemotherapy with fertility, um, mm-hmm. which I know is a big issue for, for young adults uh, who are receiving treatments that may compromise their fertility. Um, I always assumed that one day I would have a family, um, but obviously at 22, that wasn't the first thing on my mind. And suddenly I found myself considering different fertility preservation treatments and grappling uh, with the fact that I might never be able to have children. And uh, grappling with premenopausal side effects and things that, you know, were so far beyond uh, <laughs> what my friends were were thinking about that it, it was really difficult for me uh, to know how, how to talk about these things and um, how to come to terms with them myself. Um, I think there are many other issues that are unique to um, young adults, such as relationships and career and finances, uh, because really when you're in your 20s, you know, at least for me, uh, when I was diagnosed, I was just starting to figure out what I wanted to do and maybe how I might do it, and I was just starting to get a taste of independence, but I by no means was a full fledged adults in the sense that I owned a home or I had a family or that I had a, a career. 
And so are you so in thinking about those issues as a young adult, is that you know how much does that influence your your theme and your topic and what you're writing about? How many of your of those who are following you and 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 following your writing are are young adults and 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 you know why do you think it's important for this young adult peer group to get connected? Sure. Um, so I actually hear from a lot of young adults, both young adults with cancer and also perfectly healthy young adults who uh, relate to some of the themes in the column. Um, I think that me- medically, uh, the young adult population has been overlooked for decades um, in in the oncology world. Uh, I write in my first column about how survival rates for young adult cancer patients haven't improved in over two decades. Uh, and, and I think part of the reason for that is that um, there's a, a lack of concentrated research uh, that's being done on young adult cancers. I know that for me, um, and I have myelodysplastic syndrome. Most patients with myelodysplastic syndrome are in their 60s or 70s. So when I read through the research papers for clinical trials that I'm doing for the medications, um, most of the people who have participated in these trials are almost 50 years older than I am. Um, and I, I think that socially as well, um, in terms of of therapy and and support, um, there needs to be some sort of targeted or specialized care for young adults um, rather than the the more blanket adult oncology support services that are available. And 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 I know that that um, uh, there's sort of an, an irony in that the, at the beginning of your cancer journey, you're really disconnected from Facebook entirely, and now you have a weekly column on one of the most trafficked sites uh, websites in the world. And I know you recently held an hour long Facebook uh, chat. What was it like coming sort of you know quote unquote face to face with your audience, and what has the response been like to that? Uh, I think that for me, when I first got diagnosed, uh, I was very private about my cancer diagnosis, and um, after a few months, I realized that I was doing myself and my family and friends a disservice because I was internalizing all these feelings and all these thoughts that I had, and my friends and family were taking kind of guesses at how I was doing, but we weren't really helping each other. Um, I learned that the best way to help my friends and family help me was um, by sharing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The column was kind of born out of that personal philosophy um, and born out of the fact that when I looked for myself in the literature and media, I didn't see myself anywhere. A lot of the cancer books that I checked out of the library uh, were targeted uh, to much older audiences, and I hoped that maybe I would be able to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To get yeah, yeah, 
to to bring that to bring that to light. And I know, I know, Salika, you've covered such a range of themes and experiences since your first column. Um, but I think one of your most touching columns was the the beat goes on, uh, and we should talk about your jazz musician friends coming to play some music for you. Um, but really wound up launching a full scale sort of dance hall style concert for patients and nurses and doctors on the floor, and they were drawn to the music. And and um, uh, I also love when you, you know in your column my, my incarceration, um, which you you discover in the midst of a of a moment of which you describe as self pity uh, that 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 there were other patients facing you know more dire situations and circumstances that you were facing i mean in some ways it's like this the, the sherlock holmes quote quote that i read that life is infinitely stranger than anything uh, which the mind could invent and i think some of that really comes through in your writing thank you so we're talking uh today with Suleika Jawad where uh we are talking particularly about a couple of different themes um on the show today we're talking about young adults with cancer we're talking about the therapeutic experience of writing um and 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 what that means and how one can can reach new and different populations and and bring these unique experiences to light and how there's so much happening in writing in the social media space that's connecting people um uh, who are having a common experience, and I think it's interesting to hear what Sulek is talking about in terms of saying my my, my voice, my experience wasn't out there, it wasn't present um, um, in the literature, and that sort of motivated you and 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 led to sort of an obligation to 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 get out there and 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 share that, knowing that others were having uh, a similar experience. This is frankly speaking about cancer. Um, we're talking to Suleika Jawad. We're going to take a quick break here. Um, don't go away. We're going to be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. 
Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, which is brought to you today in part by Millennium and Amgen. I'm Kim Tibaldo. Today we're talking about uh, cancer and, and, and writing and the young adult cancer experience. And, and uh, joining into the conversation now with us is Meredith Rudin. Meredith is an oncology social worker, uh, currently works in New York at Mount Sinai Hospital in its inpatient cancer center, supporting people who are often critically ill or with uh, advanced disease. She develops new support groups for young adult patients, caregivers, and women with cancer, uh, and runs therapeutic writing uh, workshops. Her first article was published uh, by the new social worker in the fall of 2010. She spoke at the Association of Oncology Social Works annual conference in May 2011 on therapeutic writing for people with cancer and presented uh, a poster on an assessment tool of stress and coping for people with brain tumors in June of 2012. She's a board member of Free Spirit Publishing, a publishing house that produces self-help books for children. Hi, Meredith. Hi there. Um, Meredith, I know you're a, you're a firm believer in the power of writing. What what really drew you to use writing um, in, in support groups, and 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 how do you sort of characterize and define the benefits of of, of that activity? I think, like Suleika, what drew me first and foremost was just my own experience with reading and writing, and just loving the experience. Um, you know, I found that writing would help me look back at situations in my own life and get a new and deeper understanding of those experiences. Um, you know, kind of like Suleika, I had the experience of writing enabling me to unjumble some of the thoughts and feelings I had when I looked back on them through that medium and become more aware of some of the difficult experiences and also what helped me get through them. Um, as I started working as a social worker uh, with people with cancer and running support groups, I saw some of the great, great things that can be achieved in support groups, but there are also some challenges. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges can just be getting past the pleasantries of getting to know one another and getting to know each other in a meaningful way that can really be therapeutic. And I thought back about my experiences with writing. I read a great book called Writing Your Way Through Cancer and thought about using writing as a springboard for conversation. So it started off with that. And there's so many benefits with writing. It's just a great way of cutting through the process uh, process of getting to know yourself, getting to know other people. Um, it, it's something where you can write and respond to maybe a question or talk about a topic without interruption. It's just you and your thoughts. But then you can choose to um, share that piece. And if you decide to share it with uh, another person, you know the support you're getting back is from an authentic place, from a really honest and intimate place, and, you know, the support feels that much better. So, um, so Meredith, you... Um, make a distinction between creative writing and therapeutic writing um, in groups. Can you educate us on the difference between those two things? Well, the way I see it is therapeutic writing is more focused on the process of writing, what it can make it make you feel like and do. Non-therapeutic writing groups are more focused on the end product. So, you know, the purpose of a therapeutic writing program could be that it's making you feel better about difficult experiences. You know, in this case, 
you know, some experiences you've had um, getting through cancer and making you feel better overall because, you know, this is a thing where you're engaging in something that's creative and rejuvenating, um, you know, and that can be just such a wonderful break from all the other stuff that's going on in your life. And the purpose of non-therapeutic groups is to make something that is written look better stylistically. So it could be to make something publishable at the end of the day. So, you know, a person in this type of group might feel the great um, experience and sense of well-being from writing, but that isn't really the purpose of being in that group. And if that's all you get at the end of it, it might not be what's um, termed a success in the group. It's really about... Um, making your piece look better, look more beautiful. And, and in this process, um, Meredith, I'm sure you're interacting with a lot of folks who are, who are doing writing and participating in your workshops, but <laughs> any, any particular story or, or experience you can, you can share where, where it was just really a, a, you know, a moment of revelation for someone through their writing and you thought, oh my gosh, you know, this is why this is so important. This is why writing makes a difference for people. <laughs> Oh, my goodness, there have been so many. Um, people share the most amazing things in these groups, um, and I'm often struck by how they're not always aware of how brave and touching their experiences are through their writing until they've shared them with other people. I mean, I've seen people who have... Um, written about things like losing their hair, and they've, um, you know, talked and been transported to that time when they've uh, lost the hair, uh, maybe they've made the decision to cut it shorter, and then they see it on their pillows in the shower drain, like really visually going through it again and taking other people through that experience too, but instead of just getting, you know, in that moment, stuck in that moment, they come out the other side to see a group of people who've experienced something similar to them, you know, with tears in their eyes, and these people are ready to give solace to these people, um, to this writer, and support to this writer, and, you know, so I've seen stuff like that. I've seen, um, I've heard from people who have made admissions um, in their writing that they have said, you know, I've not even told anyone in my family that I felt this way, and it can be something really simple. It can be something like, you know, sometimes I feel lonely. You know, so many of us are, you know, putting up these masks, even as we're going through, um, you know, I, you know, unarguably the most difficult experience of our life. You know, Suleika, what's wonderful and amazing about her writing is she really, you know, lets you see behind that. But in a lot of people, that's difficult. And so it's it's kind of amazing when someone can and make that admission, and then again, like, exhale, just say, okay, great, it's been said, um, and hear from other people again about how normal it is not to feel, you know, loving and positive and full of light. Um, so there's been stuff like that. And then, you know, sometimes even writing has been a great tool for me as a leader of group to um, drive home other therapeutic tips that can also be helpful for people. So I've um, had, there's been a, one exercise that I, I've always been interested in how this really kind of hits home for people. I ask people to breathe really quickly uh, through their chest um, and then take a moment and write down the thoughts, feelings, and sensations that they have in that moment and then ask them to slow down the breath, 
start um, breathing through the belly and do the same thing. Start um, writing about the thoughts, feelings, and sensations. Mm -hmm. And when they share that experience and see, oh, my goodness, it's a completely different list we're looking at, you know, from panic Mm -hmm. to centeredness and calm. And, you know, it really hits home. You know, relaxation, breathing, this stuff really works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that these these are great tips for for folks. And I, I we're getting to the end of our show here, but I, I do want to encourage folks to find um, these kinds of programs and and, and workshops um, uh, in their community. I, I know Meredith that we, we you know we provide writing therapeutic mm-hmm. writing workshops and groups at our cancer support community affiliates um, around the country. And I, and I, and I know that many of the you know hospitals and cancer centers that this is something that really interests you as our listeners. Um, Mm-hmm. Um, ask them in your hospital, ask them in your cancer center if mm-hmm. they know of these kinds of programs, um, uh, you know, in your community, um, because we, we certainly do believe that there is, uh, you know, therapeutic value um, in this activity. I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm kind of sad that we're getting to the end of the show here because there's so much else I would like to, um, to talk about with both of you, and I hope you will come back on uh, to the show to help us uh, continue this conversation. Um, I, I really want to thank you for, for the work that you're doing to, to reach out to others and, and connect others and help them find these resources and Salika for sharing your own um, story and and uh, on an ongoing basis um, through your your chronicles at the New York Times and we would encourage folks to um, to follow uh, Salika at the New York Times or on her Twitter account and again I'm just going to spell her name for you it's Suleika S U L E-I-K-A, and her last name is Jawad. It's spelled J-A-O-U-A-D. Um, and uh, I, I think uh, Meredith has also encouraged many folks listening today to pick up a pen and a paper or a computer or keyboard so that you can, too, um, experience the healing power of writing. We're, we're so glad you guys joined us today on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Um, we want folks to know that you do not have to face cancer alone. We've got uh, over 100 locations around the country, so visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org to get connected. Um, It's been a great show today. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.